everyone, and welcome back to Then Again at the Northeast Georgia History Center. This is Marie Walker, the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here. And today I have a special guest with us to talk about one of my favorite topics, historical costumes. Oh, so welcome. Can you please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hi, um, my name is Cole Spivey. I am a freelance professional costume designer here in Atlanta for the theater, and I am actually a Brunel alum, so I've walked past the Georgia History Center many times and sadly never actually went in. You'll have to come back. <laughs> I, I mean to. I always mean to. It's on, it's on the list. It really truly is. I mean it. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about how you got into costume design in general? It's kind a long winding road like a perfect storm of my life that got me here I guess. Um, my father started um, the Lakewood Antiques Market which was one of the biggest antique shows in the southeast and my mom was a dealer there. She did Victorian jewelry and like ladies wear and things like that. They met there. My mom always had that kind of stuff around like when she was pregnant with me she started a reticule collection which is a thing all babies want. Yeah. But I've grown to really enjoy it for myself. But my father was also film commissioner in Georgia under Jimmy Carter. He was a location scout for Smokey and the Bandit and for Deliverance primarily. Like, And so back in the 70s, when a lot of movies were being made in Georgia, he was the reason for it. And then under Governor Sonny Perdue, he reassumed the position and drafted the, the bill that incentivizes all of the film, music, and video game production in Georgia. So I always grew up around both antiques and entertainment, and I was a very theatrical child and liked show tunes and things with swords in them. And I wrote a paper in fifth grade that was an overview of Victorian fashion. Like that was my big year end thing because I was always just very interested in that sort of thing. You know, like you always had the American girls and the what were those books with the gold foil on the sides that oh, were like the historical. No, the historical diary. Oh, um, the Royal Diary series. Yes, yes. Like I was so into stuff like that. And I was always interested in the pictures in the back of all the women and like what they would have worn on their trials and trips tribulations and things like that. So I was always had this huge interest in clothing. But like, I can't remember not caring about it. Theater for me intersects the ability to tell stories with clothes. And that's what I think fashion history is, is it's human history in a very zoomed in perspective. So it, it, that's kind of where my interest came from. And I started doing theater as a kid, you know, was doing community theater and stuff. And I started doing Shakespeare with a local company and they actually designed the costumes as opposed to like go to Goodwill and do something. And that was like light bulb moment. Cause I was like, someone thinks about these. So I realized you could marry those two interests of storytelling and clothes. And I never looked back. That is, that is fantastic. Cause people express themselves through fashion. And when you're doing that for theater or film, you're really getting into the, that character and trying to express that character's identity immediately to the audience through their appearance. So how, how do you go about doing that? Can you take us through the design process for a show from this concept to the stage you end up being an actor in a lot of ways like because um most of the time I'm brought on before it's even cast so like you get your script and the director asks you for your concept or they give you a direction that they're thinking about or it's something very inherent to the play itself like there's certain plays you can never not do it that way like cats would be an example if it didn't look like cats no one would come see it 
uh, not and of course not everything is that way but so you get your script you your textbook costume design thing tells you to read it like five times without thinking about anything just understanding the story and it's not wrong like that's exactly where you need to start is you need to put yourself in the character's position and and then let that tell you what the script needs or what the performance needs and like you're supposed to just let your imagination run wild and tailor it back to reality from there and it's hard to do that on paper like the moment you sit down and start getting ideas it starts that way but so you spend some time with your script and you spend some time thinking about your feelings and what do you want to say and communicate in that way and if it's a historical piece then you start researching which I'm sure you're adamantly familiar with and I'm not in the luxury position most of the time to get as like detailed as going you know back to the original sources and stuff because I'm a visual storyteller so the most important thing for the people in the seats and not for my own interests and and like vanity is that they understand it and the product looks good. Now, for those who perhaps of our listeners aren't exactly sure about how does one go about researching a historical costume or a historical outfit or something like that, what are some of your resources that you kind of jump to? Well, it's it's a lot different now in this, not that I've not always been working in the internet age, but like the, the amounts of leaps and bounds of resources available is so drastically different in the past five years than it was even before. Because I remember back when I was in college, when I was first starting out, I used books a lot, like would go to the library and go through like life magazines and look at primary sources and things like that. But now there is there is a plethora of information online, like Pinterest is awful, but it's a great organizational tool or a visual kind of, of thing where you see this and then, you know, you follow the useless track back to nowhere. But if you figure out it's from the Victoria and Albert, then suddenly this entire world opens up. Oh my God, there's a whole entire museum with all of these resources and pictures. So I tend to start off of pictures a lot. And then if I don't understand what something is or I want to learn more about it, then I tend to go back to the textual kind of stuff. But again, I'm a visual storyteller and I have to make it where the director understands what I'm talking about and where the audience understands what I'm talking about. So I often come in with essentially a PowerPoint or a mood board of all kinds of period research. And I'll tend to go more in in depth with it for my own interests and understanding and how I use that information. So how do you meld historical accuracy or, you know, try and make something look like the historical period, but also meet the needs of the performers and the practicality that you kind of have to have with a stage costume because there are things like quick changes and sometimes people can't wear five layers on on the stage and and things like that so how do you go about when when you're designing how do you kind of combine those elements or I guess get creative uh, with those elements and to to create the look that you're going for and that that's something I personally try really hard to bring to especially if it's a very historical play because not every play wants or needs that but I love historical details and try to bring as many in as possible that I can but I'm also a very pragmatic designer because like you said if they can't make their quick change or if it's so hot they have a heat stroke when they're dancing it it doesn't serve the need so you end up making shortcuts or doing weird things so you get the look of something like lots of times dresses will look like they have a million layers but will really be one thing like a dicky for example that's attached to a piece or you found a clever way to hide the gigantic zipper down the back even though the 
it's a Shakespearean play and they definitely didn't have them or lots of dresses will be built with full sets of undergarments kind of in them like bum rolls or petticoats or fully boned bodices that are doing what a corset could do and if a historical purist came and looked at them they would die of fright but but it one you have to be able to clean it and they have to be able to do the show with it so do you have a favorite time period of fashion oh it's so hard (laughs) And that's something I try to, like a lot of people, they get their favorites and they latch onto it forever. Or a lot of people look at historical stuff and go, that's ugly. Why'd they ever do that? And it's like, you have to put yourself in the mindset of I'm here. I'm that like, I don't have, I can't see what's down the road. I can't know what's, what's going to be considered beautiful. And also just don't get me started on what's considered beautiful and who controls that. Like from a patriarchal feminist standpoint, I, t- I try to find it all beautiful and like it, it's worth understanding and it's worth putting yourself there so you get a better idea of the history and the story and the world that you're interacting with. And like every time I try to pick, it's hard, but I, I tend to go for the 1920s pretty hard. My thesis at Brunel with the Gainesville Theater Alliance was The Great Gatsby. So I, I got to spend like a year pretty much living in the 20s and that kind of solidified that for me. I wear a lot of 1940s stuff, which I have no idea where it came from. I just at the start of the pandemic, I was bored looking at stuff and went, I want to I want to live in the 40s for a while. I've been doing that. I I love transitional periods too, like the 20s, the Edwardian era. I love Regency. And I love the weird, like like the early 1600 stuff where no one clearly had any idea where they were going and everything was five feet wide and no one had any necks. Like I'm I find that kind of stuff really interesting because I think you get a very interesting crossroads of like cultural phenomena distilled into people's clothes. I was reading about this earlier, especially with 2020 and the instability brought on by that year, about how people express themselves through fashion. And fashion can also be like political statements as well. But it seems to be, if you look historically, in times of instability, fashion gets pretty wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like you look at the collapse of France and like what the incroyables were with I never say that right um were wearing and just this absolute juxtaposition of something that was slightly more um practical like actually wearing like normal pants instead of very like the tightest breeches in the world versus wearing a court dress that you know is tens of yards of fabric and with giant panniers but also like the same people were wearing eight jackets at a time so what does that say other than that it was cold <laughs> I always think of like the 1830s in England and how that was a time of still kind of like end of Regency and then beginning of, well, a not great King's reign uh, Mm -hmm. and how fashion got like so wild and very interesting uh, in that time period and how it kind of cycles Mm -hmm. through in, in periods where where there's still a lot of wealth in said country, but not a lot of political stability. I think we're doing it now. Like, I think you can look at those insane tall hairdos and, and 
five layers of roughly collars and and look at like what's popular with Instagram fashion now. It's like normal people don't look like that. Most people don't spend this kind of time and effort into looking absolutely ridiculous, but a lot of people also do. Mm-hmm. And like the, I, I think it is expressed a lot in how obsessed we are with consumerism because we have no outlets for anything else because we're so tired and overworked. Mm-hmm. And like, so you buy something, you wear a ridiculous outfit to feel something. I think that's a thread you see through history. It's like trying to say something or, or express yourself through your clothes. And maybe it's absurd. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it means something. Maybe it doesn't. You don't know while you're living through it because you don't get to flip back through and see this clean little timeline that a scholar has laid out for you. That's so, so interesting because, you know, sometimes we wear something and it means something. And then sometimes we wear things that's just like, well, this is just what I'm wearing today. Like it, it doesn't actually have like a deeper meaning. You know, yeah, like you could psychoanalyze to the end of time. And a lot of people really don't think how you or I might think when they get dressed every day. Like most people aren't like, well, these shoes in comparison with these jeans, like, like I've done lots of modern shows is a huge new work play market here in Atlanta. And like history is my backbone and my love, but I do a lot of shows about people being sad in yoga pants. And it's like, I'm sitting there going through 10 t-shirts trying to find the perfect one that says everything it needs to say about this one guy. And the audience just sees a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, they don't see that kind of thought process, but if it was the wrong t-shirt, they would notice. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel right, then, then something will stick out. But mm-hmm. I guess a good job of a, a costumer is to make everything feel seamless and to have it flow and nothing does stick out unless it needs to. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. The same goes with pretty much any theatrical technical discipline. No one, no one notices a great sound design, but you notice when it sounds bad. <laughs> So do you have a favorite show that you have costumed? Oh, I talk about this one all the time. It's called Men on Boats and GTA did it two or three years ago. And it is about the exploration of the Colorado River Valley. And it's based off the diaries of John Wesley Powell, who was a general in the Union Army. He lost his arm from a little above the elbow and they decided and like the American government decided they wanted the Colorado River Valley because the West was still largely on one and no one, had, no white man had ever explored it, at least sanctioned. No, at least from our records, from what we know. And so he I tried to listen to the diary because I pretty much always go back to historical sources just for my own enjoyment to put myself in the headspace. It was so unbelievably boring. That man loved rocks like that was all he talked about was rocks and I just couldn't get there I'm sure I'm sure someone would love that it wasn't me though but it was an all-men expedition on these boats just going down the Colorado having no idea where they'd end up and it was absolutely bonkers because like they had a chair strapped to the top of this boat because they they um paddled and used oars to get everywhere and a one-armed man can't do that but he was sitting on this rocking chair they had strapped to a boat just pointing and like rock spotting like the entire thing is insane that it actually worked because they they went in with optimism bordering on stupidity like they, they were just like going down waterfalls with no idea what was happening but the play it's performed by all women instead of all men because the playwright I'm, I'm gonna butcher how she summarized it but she was tired of watching westerns and things like that that have all these awesome male characters and then you know if you're in a western most of the time you're like sad lady in a bonnet or a prostitute with a heart of gold and that's your like two characters you can be she's like I want to be the cool cowboy so she wrote a play entirely so 
a bunch of gals can be a cool cowboys and like it's it's one of I consider it my masterpiece up until this point because I got to do all period western style costumes it's a lot of brown but it was a lot of fun so. can you try to describe to our listeners who you know can't see because this is a podcast <laughs> what the costumes looked like so it was a lot like you know, no skirts or anything, no pretty dresses. It was all distressed, lived in period kind of stuff. Like, and again, trying to communicate things about someone through their clothes. Like we were able to do a full on buckskin um, fringe, like wilderness kind of suit. And we, we even hand painted the back based off extant examples. There's also, there was a, qu- a brown quilted vest kind of playing on the idea of like outdoorsy REI puffer vest kind of thing. But again, it was based absolutely off of another period example. Like I've got piles of images saved of just dirty old pioneers. Because it was hard because it's like 10 characters and they're all like, they're all different, but how do you keep it from getting boring, dirty pioneer? Like it's a, like I said, it's a lot of brown, but we were able to do lots of small details. Like I bought a lot of stuff from um, Civil War reenacting companies and customized it. A lot of really awesome work from the from the costume shop at GTA that also made that happen. And we we hand did a um, Norfolk suit, Norfolk suit. Yeah, they handmade an, a custom Norfolk suit for me. It was really good looking. The it, What ends up being almost the heroes of the play are the Ute Indians, because the people, again, just shooting down the river with no plan, st- stunningly, like, ran out of food and got lost. And the Utes took them in and were like, y'all are really stupid, but you can have some food. And so we also got to make really as accurate as we could with the time and the money that we had. We got to make Native American stuff, which very close to my heart. I love being able to collaborate with like actual native artisans and represent that well and with respect for like our native craftsmen and like that kind of stuff doesn't get enough attention, especially in historical dress circles. There's a huge focus on whiteness, which like nothing wrong with enjoying pretty dresses, but like we don't give enough attention to craftsmen of color around the world, I don't think. And especially like here in America, all these beautiful native crafts don't get enough attention. A lot of the scholarly research has just been on European dress and I think slowly but surely starting to see more representation of fashion from around the world and to learn about the other beautiful crafts and just fashion from other countries uh, from around the world that is not Europe has been beautiful to learn about for, for I know for me personally just to to explore, you know, how, how they interpreted the world and expressed themselves in it. It has been incredibly interesting to, to learn about. I agree. And I don't think like the ignorance comes from a place of malice or anything. I think you start with what you know, but I also think like we live in the internet age. There's so much to learn and so many like growing resources. I, I, I hope it comes more to the forefront because there's still plenty to learn in our own like cultural like my English ancestry led me here but like there's so many other places you can go and learn about and I think I think you're a better artist and a more well-rounded person if you don't zoom in super duper hard on one thing and you know experience this big grand wide world that we have. If you could costume any show do you have like a dream show that you would like to costume? (sighs) That's I I can't pick it's I, I just want someone to give me absolute carte blanche and like $10,000 and be like, okay, go do a Shakespeare of your choice with full period accuracy. 
or you know a, a show with no quick changes so I don't have to put a zipper in anything like I did the importance of being earnest a couple years ago and it was fantastic because that show was written before you could read like you could reasonably do a quick change so they actually wrote the scenes where you didn't have to plan for it like characters are just gone for a whole act so they can have the most ridiculous costume you want when they come back so that was kind of freeing yeah, I don't know. My boyfriend's sitting right here. Have I ever expressed a show I really want to do? I don't know. I was trying to think when you were talking about it. Apparently neither of us know me very well. It's like, it's like that, what's your favorite movie question? And you're like, I've never seen a film in my life. Uh, <laughs> I think I, th those are all the questions that I've had. Is there anything that you wished I would have asked? I don't think so. I'm not used to anyone actually asking me anything about myself ever. And I'm not good at talking about myself that much. So I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> So I guess we are we are drawing to a close. Do you have any final thoughts about designing costumes for theater? What where you would like to see the future of historical costume design go? I would like to see. I, I think we have hit a golden age of being able to research and having this whole community, like on Instagram or online in general, of being a, of a lot of people really understanding and knowing the process and also like putting value on historical accuracy because like, you know, you see way older movies and it's either like perfection or it's just straight up silly if you're watching it with the intent of it having to be period accurate because I, I do think a lot of people really get too into things being period accurate which I love I love nothing more than a stunningly accurate minutia detail kind of thing but at the end of the day it's entertainment and a lot of people will get upset in that kind of community if you don't dot every i and cross every t in that aspect and it's just silly it's storytelling it's escapism you're meant to enjoy it and not necessarily get a microscope out and analyze it like if that's what you want to do personally i applaud you i wish i had the patience but the thing i want to see forward in my own industry is pay equity and actual respect for the craft mm -hmm. Because like we aren't given in a lot of cases, especially as a freelancer, we aren't given the time or the money to actually achieve historical accuracy or even particularly good construction, especially if, you know, it's it's often me by myself in my house making costumes for 20 people. So it's like it's not normally like if you look inside my actual sewing on some of those cases, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's decidedly not great. And a lot of people just think, oh, it's clothes. Everyone wears clothes every day. So they, they don't associate that I have a degree and many years of experience with this with the fact that they can that there's a difference between me and a person that can buy a pair of pants that that's my hope for the entertainment industry in general is stop treating costumes like it's purely women's work and less valuable than other aspects of our technical disciplines there does seem to be a idea around sewing that it's a traditionally feminine craft and also that for somehow it's always cheaper than going to buy something which in almost every case is not true <laughs> yeah like i'm sure it actually was true in the 30s and the 70s especially when a lot more people were taught to do it and that you could buy fabric at any store whatever it was a sustainable normal way to maintain your family's clothes and a way for people to bring in pocket money like my my grandma's family they sat there every night and they carded buttons 
And that's how they made their money. Like it's it's not the same world. Fabric costs significantly more than just buying whatever it is you're thinking about. And the expertise should be paid for. And it's often there's the running joke in the sewing community of like, hey, can you do this like ridiculous thing for me? I'll give you $50. It's like, I don't thread my machine for $50. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, people don't think about it. They don't think about the cost of a sewing machine. They don't think about the cost of a surgery. They don't think about the cost of the room you're sitting in, the fabric, the scissors, the pins, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's so specialized. And I don't think people understand one, how many tools you have to have, how, how much material goes into a dress from the fabric, the interfacing, the buttons, mm-hmm. all of the notions in general. It's not inexpensive by any means. It's, I think it's comparable to having like a car hobby. <laughs> giant money sink of course you do get to the point where you own half of a fabric store just in your own like spare bedroom where it kind of equalizes out where you can use a little bit of what's left over but that kind of thing takes absolute years and I don't think people understand that especially because they don't grow up with their moms or their grandmas or their extended family around them having to fix things because we live in a disposable society and if your pants rip you get a new pair of pants there's no make do and mend anymore I think mending in mending your clothes is such a valuable skill not just for economic reasons anymore but also just for like saving the planet reasons of just you know mending to to make do and and also half the time when you mend something you can't even tell that it was in a lot of cases sometimes things are ripped and you're just like oh yeah sometimes it's gone sometimes it's gone and you should use it for rags but yeah most people especially if they don't sew or have that kind of trained eye they will never ever ever notice and you've prolonged the life of something for theoretically years to come i'm sure you've seen that picture that's been floating around recently of like all of those tj maxx clothes just thrown in the gobi desert like the overwhelming amount of clothing waste and fast fashion disgusts me on a personal level and it's frustrating because in theater you don't have a lot of money and you end up having to buy stuff like that and give money to amazon and it's like that's the last thing i want to do time and the money that i have in which to accomplish this thing it it shackles you in that way Mm -hmm. it's a problem within the industry that a lot of us talk about how to be more sustainable and i don't have the answers i'm just one person but Mm -hmm. I, I do think there's a lot of mindfulness and so, like the more you sew, the more you you realize the amount of effort it takes to do something and how important a skill it actually is. I used to teach occasionally high school kids in an arts conservatory and I taught them like a little basic sewing class. And I said, I don't really care if you ever come out of this being a seamstress or if you want to become a costume designer or whatever. What I want you to come out of this is when you watch a show or a movie or whatever, I want you to appreciate the art behind what everyone is doing, not just the actors. And if you don't leave this classroom knowing how to sew on a button, I'm going to come and hit you. I don't actually hit children, let that be known, but I will lightly threaten them for educational purposes. Uh, I think I think that's a good note to end on there. <laughs> <laughs> I hope all of our listeners know how to sew on a button. Uh, if you don't, try a YouTube video. I'm sure there's some out there. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening uh, to the Then Again podcast at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And until next time, take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. 
We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all. 